look to create a portfolio of experiences that help you uh, get to where you want to go. You, you know, my wife's written a book and she, there's a section of, you know, you need to name it to claim it. Hey guys, hope you're staying warm. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. Today we caught up with Kevin George. Some of you may know Kevin. Kevin's crushed it in the market the last 25 years. At Mosaic Marketing Agency, led a $2 billion business line at Unilever, uh, and then Global Chief Marketing Officer at Beam Suntory. Kevin's got a new role, new Chief Marketing Officer at Harvest Health and Recreation, Inc., a vertically integrated public cannabis company. That's right, a cannabis company. Incredibly well-funded, about $300 million to capitalize on uh, what is growing every single day. Uh, We get into a deep discussion about why going into this space, what he thinks the opportunity is, and the challenges ahead. One of the quick challenges, it's not federally legal yet, and one of the opportunities, as he describes it, it's like being in the alcohol industry the day after prohibition went legal. It's going to be a fascinating category to watch, and Kevin is certainly going to be well-positioned to take advantage of that. I met Kevin at Miami in one of the Cradle of Marketers weeks with letter created by Jenny Rooney and Dave Knox, and Kevin gave great wisdom and tips to Miami students, and on the pod, he does so again. I hope everyone enjoys it, and keep a lookout for Harvest Health and Recreation, Inc. See ya. The cannabis space is, is a kind of wealth of computers, and I can't really imagine a place that's more exciting right now. For me, personally, it wasn't a tough decision. Um, I think cannabis, if you really understand what's happening there, it's doing great things for a lot of people in terms of uh, what it does medicinally for people and, and uh, story after story about how it helps people with epilepsy, how it helps moms with their kids how it helps for anxiety and arthritis and cancer patients and all this stuff. And, and the science is real around it. So, you know, the idea of improving people's lives and doing some good stuff is on the good side. Obviously there's a recreational side of it as well, which is, um, you know, very good as well for some people. Um, so for me to step into, it wasn't a hard decision. It's, it's a hyper fast growing industry. And I work in the spirits industry for gosh, how long I've 13 years and, now, this is like the day after Prohibition, and so there's no big brands, there's no national brands, it's state by state. You know, I'm tasked with going in and just building brands from scratch, building out a marketing team, uh, doing all the stuff that's the fun stuff that you do uh, in the world, and, and no one's saying, hey, there's this really crappy brand, I need you to fix it, right? Which is typical marketing. Um, this is like, hey, there's this consumer segment, this is what they're all about, I need you to figure out how you develop me a brand and product to meet their need. And let's, by the way, we own the sales distribution route because we own the stores. Let's go. Um, so it is a bit of a crazy business that's moving a hundred miles an hour, but um, this job really ticked all the boxes for me um, when I was looking to figure out whether I wanted to go back to work or not. And, and when you're building those brands from scratch, are those brands <laughs> that, that you guys have acquired or brands that you guys are incubating and see a business opportunity for? Both, right? So we are acquiring some brands. We've acquired a brand called Evo Lab, a brand called CBX Sciences. We uh, one called um, uh, you know, Peace of Mind. We have a number of brands that we've acquired, but we're also building brands, just launching them from scratch, and uh, you know, brands that we'll own. 
um, and that we will sell in our own dispensaries as well as sell in other people's dispensaries. Um, you know, there's there's a million different names, and some of them are really fun. <laughs> and, and the challenge, I, I assume, part of it is in some states uh, this works, in some states not so much. A little bit like betting right now, but what are what are the other yeah. challenges just of the industry? Yeah, the, I think. Look, it's not federally legal. That's that's one big challenge, right? So access to banking and things like that is a bit of a challenge for for some some players. We're a public company. So we had access to capital by going public in, in uh, November in Toronto uh, in, in Canada. So, you know, we were able to raise $280, $300 million to capitalize the business and, uh, you know, expand our growth and, and really support our growth. Uh, you know, from a state-by-state perspective, you know, the laws are that you have to actually grow. Anything you sell in the state, you have to grow mm-hmm. in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, therefore... You can't transport product between state lines or across from Canada down to the U.S. Or I can't take what I'm growing in California and sell it in Arizona. So you have to have cultivation in those places where uh, you're selling it. So you know, today we have you know 15 dispensaries in 12 in, in a number of states. We have 60 licenses, but we have cultivation centers now. We just acquired one in Florida. We just acquired one in California because Florida and California. Are really large states where we're going to have a lot of stores. So by the end of this year, we'll have probably close to 50 dispensaries. And by the end of 2020, closer to 100. Um, we'll have, at the end of this year, probably 25 in Florida alone. So we just acquired a, a cultivation and a farm there uh, to, to grow so so we can keep it there. And we have cultivation in Arizona, uh, a number of other places. What's the uh, similarity to that of, I mean, you've, I know with Mosaic, it's been on an agency side, but you've got 15 years running, running brands locally and globally across Beam and Unilever. What, what's, what's the common trait? I can see some differences, but what's the common trait of what you're doing now to those businesses? You know, um, you know what I'm doing now is, is these are, you know, creating brands is not that different in, in any stretch of the imagination across, forget just the work I did at, at Beam, but at Unilever or any of the others, other places, right? Understand who the consumer is, you know, what are the needs, what's the gap in the market, and then deliver and make products or solutions or innovation or position your product in a way that meets those needs. Um, and it creates relevance, right? I think the biggest thing and the hardest thing to do in marketing is relevance, and I think this is also about that, Um it's about creating relevance to the brand, the Harvest brand. In, in, from a similarity standpoint, I think you know relevance is always important in any brands you're building. And that may sound boring, but at the end of the day, it is. And, and how do we kind of surprise and delight people with what we create? So I think that you know, in all of marketing and all of branding, that's the same. And I think, again, this is all new territory. And so figuring out that and, and what people's needs are. Because if you sit in our, one of our dispensaries for an afternoon, the diversity of people that walk in that store are, are, is amazing. And it is, you know, everybody from an older woman who is looking for something for her arthritis pain to, you know, a 22 year old who's looking to kind of, you know, chill out on a Friday with his friend. So it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting crowd and, uh, but all, all, um, opportunities for us to create products and brands that meet their needs. And today there are no brands that exist really. I mean, there are, but they're not, there's nothing of any size. It's really a strain led business, um, which is fascinating um, to me. And so I'm learning all these strains, but the brands themselves don't, 
you know, they're not, there's not any huge ones yet. And, and because it's not federally legal, are there restrictions from a brand building or marketing advertising of what you can or cannot do nationally? Do you have to do things state by state or how does that work? Every state has different laws. So in Pennsylvania, I can't do anything except have a website. In California, I can put billboards up on Sunset Boulevard. So, it, you know, every state has a different law in terms of how uh, you can promote and sell the product in that state. And that depends on whether it's medicinal or recreational as well. So there's 33 states that have that allow medicinal, and then there's uh, probably nine or ten that are rec at this point before they turn and Generally, it's a stepping stone to recreational or what they call adult use. Um, so, yeah, every state is different, but that's not that different than alcohol. So in spirits, um, although it's probably more homogenized than uh, at a national level, it is a state-by-state laws, and there's only certain things you can do in certain states and spirits as well. And 20 years-ish, maybe a little bit more of Mosaic and Beam and Unilever in that world. What do you what do you take from those experiences, not just with the new role in the space, but, you know, are they each stepping stones and you learned something at one that got you to the next place, or are there similar things in each of those roles that kind of re-confirms re, kind of things you know that just gives you more confidence in what you're doing with the next role? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's a good question because, you know, I have friends and everybody has friends that have their entire lives planned out for them and what they're going to do. And for me, uh, you know, I had a friend who knew when he was working at McDonald's when he was 16 years old that he wanted to be, you know, CEO of a certain company. Uh, and today he's doing that. And he, he laid it out that way. For me, I've always taken the approach of I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing until I'm not having fun anymore. And I'm not learning anymore, and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. And so in my career, I've always kind of approached it that way. Um, and I've been lucky enough to create um, a portfolio of experiences, which is really how I look at it, in order to get me and help me be successful in whatever I'm doing today. So for me, having um, you know done sales, started in sales, and then I, at Unilever, I did a, a bunch of marketing, but also ended up running a you know, close to $2 billion business and, and running that business. And then went to do, do this global CMO role. And then I was uh, running an agency for, for three years. So for me, you know, when I look at the marketing stool, I wanted to, I call it getting my unicorn merit badge, right? So I, you know, I'd, I'd been a global CMO. I had run a big company for, a, a, you know, P&L for a big company. And then, you know, the agency side of it was kind of the third leg of the stool because you think you know how, an agency works after working with them for, for 20 years, but you actually don't until you get in there and kind of run, run that business. And you know that, um, it's a very, it's, it's different. It's a service business, it's a human capital business. And, um, so all those things have put me in a position now to, you know, anything that's come, that will come my way. I think, um, some of it will be surprising because of the industry I'm going into, but generally the, the situations will, will, you know, same. I don't think there's anything somebody can throw at me that, that, I haven't seen in the last 25 years. And obviously the reason why we've got this podcast and the roots for both of us go back many years to Oxford. And we met however many years ago doing the cradle of marketers that Jenny Rooney and Dave Knox and others put together. And I remember the first time uh, we sat up there together 
and we everyone had to give their kind of two minute spiel to the kids. And you had I can't now I'm gonna I say I remember and I'm gonna pause on if it was a BuzzFeed or whatever the the yeah, BuzzFeed list yeah the BuzzFeed list of hey here are some ten things from for students or things I learned. So even if we go back before the Unilever days to you know what what are we telling these eighteen to twenty two year old kids that are trying to think about if they're the McDonald's 16-year-old going to be a CEO or figure out a different type of portfolio of work. What are those tips we're giving those kids, especially the ones in Oxford? You know, take, I, you know, my, my advice would be similar to what I did, which is look to create a portfolio of experiences. If you're in a job for one year or three years or whatever it is, uh, look to create a portfolio of experiences that help you uh, get to where you want to go. You, You know, my wife's written a book and she, there's a section of, you know, you need to name it to claim it. So unless you know where you're going and what you want, um, you, 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 you can't get there. But at the end of the day, if you say, I want to work in a company that it looks like this has values like this and allows me to make money or it's fast growing industry or it's, uh, um, if it's not, not business, it could be, you know, uh, it could be nonprofit, could be whatever. You, you define what it is that makes you happy and f- figure out a portfolio of experiences that will help you get there and, and then take jobs. And some jobs will be crappy. Um, you know, Rashad Debakawala at Publicist says, you know, take the, when you come out of college, take the crappiest job. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Take any job. Um, because whatever it is, it will give you an experience. Even if it's not a great experience, um, people will learn from it. Um, in terms of, Hey, this is what a bad boss looks like. Here's what a great boss looks like. Here's what a bad environment is. You'll know what you don't want, even if it's a crappy experience, but take a job that, you know, pays you well and, and where people trust you because I, I think, you know, and I just had two children graduate from college in the last three years. And it, it's like, you know, they're looking for the perfect job that they think they're going to have for life sometimes. And that's not the way it is. It's what will this experience get you? And so thinking about it like that, is, I think is important. Mm. And, and going back when you were at school, what do you, what do you wish you did differently or if you if we could do it again which all of us would want to do again what of it would you keep the same Dave? yeah i'm here could you hear me yeah sorry i missed the i missed the end of your question oh just if you could go back which we all would want to do if you could go back to school and do it again what what would you do the same or what would you do differently um, I, I rushed out of college. Uh, I, you know, my first tip of, of, you know, kind of not staying and enjoying, I, you know, I got out in three and a half years because I thought I really needed to get out and work and do all that. Um, I would have stayed longer because I think, and I wouldn't say five years, but I would have stayed that extra semester because I think there's something to, um, to all of that. And I would have, that's one. The second thing is I would have actually, um, probably networked better, um, I would have actually, if I could go back, right, but it's really hindsight, I'd find out who the really smart kids are, the mm-hmm. people you can look at when you're a senior and go, hmm, that person's going to be successful. That person is going to be really successful. That person's going to go somewhere. Because everybody sits in class and knows who the smart kids are, the well-connected kids, or the the kids who have that extra something that you can see. Um, if you can spot those people, um, get to know them. Um, and, and because, you know, just like you and I and Jenny and Dave and all those other folks later in life, it becomes an important part of who you are and an important part of picking up the phone and saying, Hey, do you know anybody that does this? Hey, what do you think of this? And so 
I think it's important. You know, I don't know anything about networking when you're your kid, you know, when you're graduating uh, Oxford. I didn't know that I needed to kind of go and talk to business people and all, you know, all the stuff that people do today. And, you know, when we come on campus, kids come up and say, hey, do you have an opportunity for a job? You know, that's, that's one good thing to do, but look around you in your classes and, and when you're out at the bar or whatever and know who the kids are that have that special something and then figure out how to pick their brain and connect with them. I think that's, that's important. It's an interesting kind of almost side conversation to have to even think about at Miami or elsewhere of how you cultivate that because you're right. That is such a hard thing to do at 21 to figure right. out why you should network and then how to network knowing that it's going to pay huge dividends in five or maybe 25 years. Um, right. It's kind of right. an interesting topic to noodle on too at some point. Well, and I, th- and I think, I think, you know, the students today have obviously vastly more opportunity to do that through, through the, you know, through the, the mean mediums we have today from social to LinkedIn to everything else, right. Which we, which we really didn't have. So, you know, it's very easy now to kind of stay connected. Um, whereas when we left college, everybody went their separate ways and it's like, well, I hope you call me or write me a letter sometime. Right. <laughs> so I don't want to make it, I don't want to make myself sound old, but generally it's, it's yeah. way, way easier today than, than it, than it would have been. Mm. And if you look at your next six years and five years, right, we always ask that we ask the 22 year old who comes in for a job interview, where do you see yourself? But as you continue to build these, this portfolio of experiences, where do you think the cannabis space is in six months or let's go longer term and call it five years? Oh, wow. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to predict five years in the cannabis space. I, I'm going to predict two years ahead because okay. I think, um, I think it, it's moving so quickly every single day. Um, I would say, and I'm not lying. I mean like every single day I was there this week and things changed from Monday to Thursday when I was there on my, on my, on my job. Um, I think it'll be federally legal. Um, I think it, I think the, the government will realize what's happening. I think the state, uh, it'll be legal in probably almost every state, at least medicinally. Um, I think rec will go to probably 20, 25 states. Um, and then I think it will become federally legal, similar to what Canada's done, uh, both medical and recreational. Um, and I think at that point, there will also be consolidation by then of not only companies, but, um, you know, the companies, brands, things like that in terms of how, how they're regulated. Uh, and then I think there'll be some large brands that start to emerge uh, that are built well, that have uh, have the ability to have a national footprint and things like that. I think that's where the industry will be um, if we do it right. But there's going to be a lot of, you know, bumps and, and bruises along the way, but it will be a hell of a lot of yeah, well, and it's it's amazing the long tail of business, right? I mean, if you look at liquor outside of beer and wine, just that category in sponsorship is now just being allowed to be open in some sports and yeah. some leagues. Yeah. So the space is growing so fast for you right now, but the future when our kids are our age or even greater, like it takes a long time for uh, saturation uh, and for full adoption on all this stuff. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you look at it, you just said it. I mean, we couldn't advertise in the NFL games until two years ago, yeah. maybe. Yep. Two years ago. And, and Prohibition ended in 1933. So, yeah, it's it's crazy. I do think I, I think states and the, and the federal government will learn from that. The advertising piece is a completely different story, right? Because that's 
that's a much different world in terms of you know legality and 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 what's what a what an advertiser is willing to do. But I think certainly in the in the I think they'll learn quickly from prohibition what happened. It won't take you know a hundred years to, to figure it out. You can hear it in Kevin's voice, the excitement, the passion. You know he's going to crush it. He's going to do so well, and I think this industry is one that we talk about on the fringes right now, and in six months or a year, we're going to be talking about it every single day. Uh, everyone follow Harvest Health and Recreation, Inc. Appreciate everyone taking some time here. See you at Skippers for a beer real soon. Thanks, Kevin.